Anyone who has ever come to Christ has done so only by His grace. If we love God, it's because He first loved us. If we choose God, it's because He first chose us. Now, while that election went down before the foundation of the world, the Trinity still has to track us down in real time, in our lived experience, as the kids say it now, and direct our hearts and steps to a place where we are ready not only to hear the gospel, but to respond to it in repentance and faith. And that readiness can only come when we are brought low and humbled and helped to see our sin and our need for a savior. There is no one blueprint for where and when and how this happens in somebody's life. For Zacchaeus, it was sitting up in a sycamore tree. For Paul, it was on the road to Damascus. For Lydia, she was in a van down by the river. For the woman at the well, it was at the well. For me, it was in a church at a youth night on the Revere Beach Parkway. And for my dad, it was in a hot, hot village on the other side of the world during his time in Vietnam, where he was sent to serve his country at war, but ended up finding peace with God. Every single one of our lives is marked by moments that change everything. Getting into a car accident, being diagnosed with a serious illness, getting accepted into the college of your choice, making the team. Some are happy, some are sad, but all have impact all the way forward in our stories. For my dad, in 1966, it was this, getting drafted to fight in Vietnam. I came home uh, one night, and my mother says, uh, Glenn, you have a letter here from Mr. Johnson, the President of the United States, from the Selective Service. I think you better open it. Well, we opened it, and I was drafted. He says, welcome. You have been inducted into the military and to the armed force. You were to report to Whitehall Street, November 26, 1965. There was hundreds of guys already on lines outside. In addition to that, there was hundreds of buses ready to take us on our way. And all we were supposed to like basically bring with us was a toothbrush. And it was funny because I lived in New York, and it actually had a token for the subway taped to the letter. Yeah, I was a little bit shocked. Uh, I didn't, Not many other guys that I hung out with had got drafted except one guy, Bobby Brown. So we were a little bit shocked. So went... Uh, said goodbye to a lot of the friends and took the train to Whitehall Street downtown and they checked you physically from top to bottom, blood tests, urine tests, make sure you weren't on any kind of drugs and if you passed the test and they had different bases that you would be sent to, Fort Dix, Fort Ord. They wanted the guys from New York to be closer so they sent me to Fort Dix, got on the bus and I was on my way to basic training. If you know my dad at all, you would never pin him as a soldier. The man is a lover and a laugher and a talker, and he's not afraid of a fight, but 
Things like discipline and focus and following orders, they're just not his strong suit. So I need you to imagine with me him going through military boot camp. I always had a rebel spirit, so I didn't do too good right away. There was guys who were there two days before us telling us what to do, and we didn't like it. So I already hooked up with a bunch of guys from New York. And then uh, I had a room of just four guys. It wasn't a big barracks. It was just that room. And every day at 6 o'clock in the morning, we were out early. It was in December, cold. And we had 220 guys. And we had our sergeant at that time, Sergeant of the Arms, was Sergeant Rodriguez, just newly back from Vietnam. So you could obviously, he was going to be really tough with us, knowing what he saw. So one brisk early morning, couldn't even hear a pin drop. I'm freezing, I'm shaking, and I accidentally dropped my rifle. And it went ping pong bang and made a lot of noise, and everybody says, oh, what happened? So the sergeant screams out, don't anybody move. And he comes off the podium, walks down, makes his way to me. He looks at the rifle, he looks at me, cruises out your rifle, and first thing I said, gun. Gun? It's a rifle, not a gun. This is what I want you to do. I want you to give me 50 push-ups. Loud and clear. It was very quiet there in New Jersey. And every time you did a push-up, you kissed your rifle. And when you got back up, you say, I love my rifle. <laughs> I had to do that for 50 times. And some guys are laughing, but Futes are laughing. The sergeant says, you want to do it too? I said, no, sir. So that was a thing that was really, uh, it had to be me, but it happened to me. And from there we moved on. Another interesting was that uh, every day we took our rifle apart. It was about seven pieces, stock, barrel, piston, trigger. And then you put it back together. You took it apart. And then when you had the test, he says, all right, take your rifle apart. But... You need to put on blindfolds. Right. And man, did we have a hard time trying to figure out how a rifle, none of us could do it. So the sergeant says, do you see what I mean? How important it is to pay attention, know what you're doing. You're not going out over there to play. You're only able to defend yourself and your country. So that was a share. That was another shock. So one minute you are wiring outlets in basements in 20-degree weather outside of New York City. And the next you are on five back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back long plane rides, landing in the sweltering heat of a remote village in Southeast Asia. I asked my dad about arriving in Vietnam. I had a week off. I had a month off. Partied a lot, drank a lot, race cars. And my mom and dad took me to uh, Kennedy Airport. Got on a TWA. In those days, they flew commercial airlines because there were so many soldiers going over. And we flew from Kennedy to California to Hawaii to Japan to Saigon. Right. And uh, planes did not land in long drips. They headed straight down so they wouldn't be shot by any kind of rifles or 
people taking target practice. So we land in Saigon, and you got some guys somehow knew who you were, and they put us in a place called Tansanut. It says, where are you going to be for a couple of weeks till we decide where you will end up? AIT, which is advanced training, I was in the armor division, but because they were looking for more tradesmen, I got sent to an engineer company, 82nd Engineer Corps, in Cameron Bay. And me and this other guy from Philadelphia, we avoided every bit of KP, cleaning duty. We found all places to hide in locker rooms, under mattresses. <laughs> we were always trying to hide. And then eventually I got papers. They flew me out and about 10 other guys to a place called Cameron Bay, which is on the coast. It was probably one of the biggest, deepest inlay bays all along the Southeast Asia coast. There were 60 guys in one barracks from all parts of the country, Alabama, Oklahoma, Washington, Detroit, from all different styles from work, from life. So we had to get along with each other. We were on top of each other. Every one of us had to pull 30 days of God duty, which I hated. And I pulled 12 a.m. to 8 a.m. And it was actually in and where everybody was. So it, we picked up our so our rifle and we had our guard duty stuff. We actually walked by the guys that we would sleep with and they'd all be goofing on us and ragging on us and playing basketball. And uh, what you did was you loop, made a loop and you met another soldier and each soldier reached each soldier knowing that the perimeter was safe. We weren't acting any engagement or shooting, not at all. We just was basically, we had the first count, the uh, Marines... And the 101st Airborne were the military support groups in and around our, our camp. They took care of all of the, if there were any fighting or if they thought there would be any attack, that was their responsibility. In his love for us, deep love for us, the Spirit employs the most ordinary means to save us. The gospel, thankfully, does not come to us through some complicated, academic, fancy-pants, out-of-reach kind of way. It comes with words and water, bread and wine. For my dad, those words came from some fellow soldiers who were alive to the grace of Christ, and that water was the warm waves of the South China Sea. I was drinking a lot. We, uh, regular soldiers had their own drinking hole. The NCOs had their initial, their NCO uh, place to hang out, and then the uh, officers had their own, and we drank a lot. And then we got introduced to opium for a while, smoke it through a pipe, and it put you out for a couple of months. But at that time, my heart was missing something. I was searching in my soul. It was hot. It was annoying just the beginning of my time there, and it was just so stressful. And um, I was just searching in my soul for something real other than what I was experiencing. And my mother snuck a King James Bible in my duffel bag, one that I had when I was a Lutheran back home in New York, and it kind of stayed there. And once in a while I would take a look and try to read it, but I couldn't understand it. So... Getting to work every day, and it was getting more and more hard, and other guys had some breakdowns, and some guys even went AWOL, which is absent without leave. Uh, they went on R&R, &R and they never came back. So the hot days, 
And then the the, uh, the guard duty days, I had to go back to the barracks in daytime at 115 degrees and try and sleep. So it was wearing on me. One night, I went by our church. We built a church right in the middle of our barracks. And we're all, we had, there's headquarters, A, B, C, D, and there's almost 800 of us. And there were some guys singing music and I happened to be walking by the, the time it was over and this one guy, Robinson, hey, why don't you come by one night? We get together, we sing, we, we, we pray for each other, we get through the day and talk about the needs that we have. And I said, nah, 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 that ain't for me. I'm searching for God, but I don't want a church thing. So I went back once, twice, three times, got closer to the front, and he was speaking from the Bible, and, and they were singing. These guys had a new look about them. They were relaxed. They were happy. They weren't about getting killed or getting hurt. And uh, every night we'd go up to the altar, and I would just sit there like kind of twiddling my thumbs. And then one day Robinson said, You know, Glenn, I think it's time that you ask Jesus Christ into your life. This is what we're about. And most of these guys were uh, African-American, and I just deeply loved them, and they really cared for me. And said, you just say, ask God to forgive you of the sins, your last life. And he died on the cross, and he paid for your sins, and he'll come into your life and make you a new man. And I was very nervous. Sure. I didn't do it that night. The next night, I couldn't wait to get back there and go to the altar. And that night, I broke down and cried and wept and raised my hands and all the guys come over to me and laid their hands on me and prayed for me and hugged me and loved me and says, now you're a born-again Christian. Everything you did from this moment, you walking into this church, everything's changed. Everything's new. You're no longer a sinner. You have a new life. You're now going to be a disciple of Christ and God is going to take care of you. Everything is not going to be perfect. There's going to be hard times, good times, but you know that God, the Creator, will be your Savior, and He'll take care of you. So I left that place, actually with my hands up in the air, praying and loving God, and not even knowing what to say. got back to the, the, the barracks, and I was like noisy and loud, and they said, oh, Glenn's another drinker, another drinking. And I said, no, 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 no. Jesus came into my heart and my life. Okay, you'll be okay. Don't worry about it. You know, get to bed. <laughs> and we got baptized in the South China Sea by the guy who led the service. And and it was interesting. I have a picture of it. And it was crazy because it was out in the South China Sea. Two guys held me and dunked me under the water. And I came up my hands, my hands up in the air. And I have a picture from a slide. And in the background, there's an F-4 fighter jet flying right over me. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but those who find themselves on the receiving end of the grace of God always and immediately become the ones to share that grace with others. This was true for the Samaritan woman. This was true for the Gadarene demoniac. This was true for Paul and Philip and Peter and John and all of them. And it was totally true for my dad. At that time, I got transferred from headquarters company to company C. And the initiation and when you go to a new company is that you needed to go up to the club and get drunk. And I said, no, 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 no. I got a new life. I can't get drunk. You're going to do it. And at that moment, 
The sergeant of the guard came in and says, What's the matter? Cruz just got transferred here, and he has his initiation. And I said, Sergeant, I am, I'm a born-again Christian. I don't do that anymore. Sergeant says, Okay. Nobody touches Cruz. Anybody messes with him, and he was nasty. You're going to answer to me. He's not doing that initiation. I said, wow, I cannot believe this. This is crazy. Guys are about to beat me up. Lo and behold, this sergeant was had had a Christian experience and had lost it. And he would sneak up to my bunk at 2 o'clock in the morning and touch my bunk. He says, can I talk to you, Glenn? He says, what happened to you? You, you have such great peace. And I had that. I don't have it. I want it back. And we would go over the Bible and talk about it for hours, very quietly. So many soldiers come home from war and suffer terribly from PTSD. There are obviously legitimate reasons for this, and gladly there are super helpful treatments for it. But interestingly, for my dad, his time in Vietnam never stirred up feelings of loss or panic or trauma or stress, but joy in having found or been found by the love of God. Couldn't wait to tell my parents and almost questioned my parents if they were real Christians. <laughs> they were Baptists at the time, and I wanted to make sure that they were saved. <laughs> and my dad said, slow down there, kid. And... Uh, Yes, so I also had to make my way up to Steve's bar where I had the watering hole and the guys were waiting for me because they knew I was home and they said, you're back, Cruz. You're thin, you're skinny, you look like a doctor. <laughs> Let's go. Steve set him up. I said, wait a minute. I said, I, I, at the moment, I'm not drinking anymore. I'll have a Coke. <laughs> what? Coke, he says, I've been changed. And then one of the sky bobs says, oh, everybody comes back with a new life, a new change. You know, you'll get over it and we'll be partying again. In two weeks, I was back in the electrical trade. Okay. Went right back into it. And uh, so, no, I did not have any PSD. I did not have any uh, sadness. Jesus really did a job on me. So there it is. My dad came home from Vietnam, a changed man, and would soon walk into a Brooklyn church and find not only strong community, but he'd also find a girl. Thanks for listening to this episode of Yeah, That's My Dad. Please tell others about it if they would benefit from hearing these stories of grace in my dad's life. If you go to cruise.studio backslash dad, there's a sweet little website set up where you can get connected to all of this content.